Everybody can take a seat. Well, we'll listen to it later, okay? So, um, before I get started, I'll open this up with some prayer, and then we'll dive in. Um, Father God, we love you, Lord, and God, just thankful just to be gathered here tonight. Praying, Lord, that the words you've given me just resonates with everyone here, that it will just land on soft hearts, and that they'll start to walk this out of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in community, and why it's such a beautiful thing, even though we, at times, can be hard-headed and are broken, and we bring so much to the table, but God, you are great, you are gracious, and you have forgiven us, and wherever there is hurt, wherever there is pain, or anything that withdraws from you, God, there is so much more grace there, and I pray this for everyone here. I pray that as we go about this, we'll continue just to dive into you each and every day, press into you for our needs, and that you'll continue to meet us and glorify, and we'll glorify you in our actions, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you guys get me again this week. Hope you're excited. And because I'm a tech person, I've got my pad here, so we'll make the best of it. So I was thinking, um, Ms. Michelle and Alan, Mr. Uh, Pastor Allen asked me to speak this week, and I was looking at what we've talked about already. Last week, Ms. Michelle talked about um, our authority as believers and what that is. And even on Sunday, Pastor Allen talked about the victory we have in Christ now. So I was trying to come with a message that wraps into this, and... Um, I want to talk tonight about community, and just a little disclaimer, I'm a teacher at heart, so I tend to be nerdy about things. I hate school, but I love learning. It's one of those weird, weird giftings, so for me, I love diving into the Word, looking at the original language. For the Old Testament, we know it's in Hebrew, for the New Testament, it's in Greek, but disclaimer, I do not speak it fluently, I have not studied it well, so Google is my best friend when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And for this next part, I need Miss Laurel to come up here. We talked about this, remember? So, <laughs> nope, not kidding. Everybody give her a hand. She's great. So, Miss Laurel, we're talking about community, and what is that in the Greek? Koinonia. Koinonia, fancy word. Thank you so much. Give her a hand. We're going to land on koinonia. But before I get there, I want to touch on salvation and also something that you may or may not heard of called sanctification. And for those who like following along, we'll be in Acts 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull those out. And we're just going to dive into it. So salvation, that instantaneous moment when you believe. It's a beautiful thing because it's easy. Everybody here, um, anybody here, who all here is saved and has accepted Christ as Lord and Savior? Cameron, raise your hand. Thank you. (laughs) We're all saved. Salvation occurred that moment when you prayed that prayer, when you believed that Jesus was who he said it is, who he was, the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He, for our sins, was atonement, was crucified on the cross, buried, raised from the dead on the third day, and now sits at the right hand of God, waiting for the day to come and bring us all back to him. That's salvation in a nutshell. And for all of us, that happens instantaneously. And we look at Acts 2, starting in verse 37. To kind of back up a little bit, Acts, I like giving a little history with it. The book of Acts is actually a letter written by Luke. He was not one of the 12 disciples, apostles of Christ, but he was one of Christ's disciples. He was a physician, so me and him are buddies like that. I like that. 
Um, but he actually wrote two letters. One, of course, the book of Luke, which uh, talks about the life of Jesus through his uh, resurrection. And then he also wrote Acts. Acts is written to his friend Theophilus, who he is writing to, convincing him of Jesus and who he is. And Acts just lays out the start of the early church and its growth and ends with Paul going to Rome to help spread the church there. So when he's writing this, Luke is a great historian. And it starts off with Jesus ascending to heaven, and he tells the everybody gather, all his disciples, to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit to come, and then they would know what to do. So everybody goes to Jerusalem, they're there for a while, and then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends on everybody. A lot of confusion because they're all speaking in tongues, and everybody around is hearing about Jesus in their own native tongue, which is really cool because at this point, there have been gathered people from all over the known world who would have spoken different dialects, different languages, and to hear them speaking specifically about Christ in their language was kind of amazing. And one guy, some people were just like, well, they must be drunk because it's, yeah, that's the only way that could happen. And so Peter gives up and says, we're not drunk. And then he proceeds to give the first sermon of the new church. And pick up 37, we have the following after he finishes preaching. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord has called to himself. So like I said, salvation, that instantaneous moment where you are cut to the heart and you believe, and you're saved. Your place in heaven is guaranteed. That can't be taken away from you. But then comes this next part called sanctification. And for those who may not have heard the word, it just simply, it's just simply this lifelong process of becoming more and more Christ-like as you walk day by day. It's kind of like a refining process, like taking iron and making it into like a sword or gold and making it more purified, just this refining process. And I like how 2 Corinthians 3 has this, pick up in verse 18, because it's a great encouragement for everyone who has given their lives to Christ. Pick up 18 in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. But this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Oh, it's a beautiful thing because day by day after we believe, we are being transformed and made more and more like Christ. So the question now becomes, how does this work? And you might say, well, Keith, I thought when you believed, you were now seen as holy and righteous before God. To that I would say, of course, spiritually, God no longer sees you in your past. He sees his son, his perfect, blameless, holy son, when he looks at you. So from a spiritual standpoint, yes, you are sanctified in God's eyes. But when we look at our lives here on earth, we still bring to the table a lot of baggage and a lot of past with us. And God is in the process of making us more and more like him. So we still have to kind of walk out our faith, so to speak. So how do we walk out our faith? A few ways. Getting into the word. This is with personal reading time daily. Doing devotionals. Bible study groups like all you are here, you're here to dive deeper into the Word. And when we start our point groups, that's another great way to continue the sanctification process with other believers. Of course, we have prayer, and that's just spending time with God. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy or rehearsed. Oh, this falling and breaking. I spent a lot of money on this. Um, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. A lot of people think you have to have these long, rehearsed prayers that go on for hours on end. And when you really look at Scripture and really let the Spirit speak to you, 
prayer is just spending time with God. I know, I know for me when I pray, and this is going to sound completely weird, but um, I was listening to a pastor years ago, and he was talking about prayer. And he was saying a story about this guy who was part of this church. And this guy comes to him and said, hey, um, how do you pray? He's not sure how to pray, kind of a new believer. And he goes to his pastor, and his pastor hands him this giant book. And he's like, this is the Bible on prayer. And so the guy was like, okay, thanks. So he takes it home and starts pouring through the pages. Well, I would say pouring through, but he was talking to this pastor about his experience. He said, I had to stop every couple of sentences and go look up these words because I didn't know how to pronounce them. So he got like maybe two pages in, gets back to the pastor, and is kind of like, well, thanks, but no thanks. And so he's sitting talking with his friend about this because it's really eating him up. They're like, how do you pray? And his friend said, have you ever tried just talking to God like me and you are? And he's like, what do you mean? And he said, I want you to do this. I want you to go home and get a chair and sit across from you. And then just envision God sitting there and just talk to him like we do. And he was telling this priest about this. And he was like, is that crazy? And the priest was like, that's actually simplistically beautiful. And so um, I look at prayer as something not super fancy or rehearsed. It's just talking with God. I'll sit and I'll pray, I'll pace if something's on my heart, and it's just really intimate time with God. And it can look different for everybody here. Some people might even actually pray through the Psalms, which are actually prayers in themselves, but a lot of varieties of way of prayer. Um, another way we can grow spiritually, fasting. Now, for anybody who's never fasted before, I would highly suggest trying it. Um, fasting is just abstaining from food, typically, or in our culture, abstaining from something like social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the Snapchats, whatever's out there now. I don't know. It's a lot of stuff. But abstaining from these things so you can drown out earthly voices so you can better hear from God. And for me, if anybody's interested, if you go on the YouVersion app and look at fasting, there's this great devotional by Pastor James McDonald called Authentic Fasting. And that really has shaped my view and ways I fast whenever I have something. And this is a whole, fasting is a whole separate message in itself. But when you fast, just make it personal for yourself. But we'll, we'll, we will definitely touch on that in the future at some point. And, of course, the last way we can grow, walk out our faith is by serving in the church and locally. I see a lot of faces here, and I love seeing that a lot of you are already engaged in the church and is serving. And that's a great way to just continue to walk out your faith because you're giving, using your gifts that God has given you to walk this out. Thank you. Okay, so... <laughs> I appreciate it. Looking out for me. So, serving. And a lot of y'all doing that. And if you haven't hopped on the serve team yet, or the Compass Cruise it's called, join up. It's a great way to fellowship with the other members of this church and to also use the giftings that God has given you to further his kingdom here. So, these are all some practical ways, but sanctification isn't easy. Um, I heard one pastor put it this way. Um, if anybody's heard of Brennan Manning, he's one of my favorite authors because he's just super genuine about God's love and the grace that he bestows on us. And for a long story short, he, super acclaimed priest, been all over the world, done a lot of great things for the kingdom, but he falls into alcoholism and just kind of falls off the map when he moves to, of all places, Bala Battery, Alabama. And when he finally gets treatment and comes out of it, he starts writing. And a lot of people will come up to him and ask, Brennan, after having all these experiences with God and just what he called ob experiences, how can you go back to that lifestyle? He just simply said, life is hard. Even though we are given, we have given our lives to Christ, we still live in a fallen world. 
that time when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that perfect, holy relationship with God was forever severed. And now sin enters the world, and now even though we are, as the Bible says, foreigners in a strange land, longing for our eternal home, we're still stuck here on this earth. So life is hard. Things happen. And the enemy's job is to draw your attention away from God and what he wants to do and keep you focused on your problems. That debt, those relationships, that habit, those relational things, sickness, all these things to keep your eyes off of God so that way he can keep you from fulfilling what God has called you to do. And even the maturest Christians in this room or anywhere you would say, we're all the same way because we all struggle. I know that there are things that I may not struggle with so much in the beginning, but they're still there. And that's okay because we're all human. And the grace of Christ is there to meet us whenever we do fall short. And then, like I said, life is hard, but secondly, the fine process isn't always easy. And I was talking with a friend of mine at work about this, and she's a huge C.S. Lewis fan. And she was talking about when she was um, on a missionary trip in Central America. She was sitting out on this river with some kids, and this kid's crawled in, his lap, in her lap. And she was just looking out, just marveling at what... Um, she was being to be a part of this kid she couldn't speak a language to him but he was talking to her and for those who went to Swaziland I had planned those things where they would start speaking Saswati to me and all I could do was nod and yell yes purple <laughs> but it's cool in these instances where you're with somebody you may not be able to understand each other but you see God in them and they see God in you and you just connect over that and so she was telling this to me and it brought me to this um, quote by C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity, and it says the following when it talks about the refining process. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abdominally and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on a new extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. Ooh, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> that just gives me chills, and it's cool because C.S. Lewis was an atheist, and the reason he became a Christian was to disprove it. And as he was studying his scripture, he was like, I, I can't deny who God is. And so he became a believer. So his writing is super hard and tough to get to, but he has some amazing, amazing insight. And I love the fact that we think that a lot of times God is just going to keep us where we're at, but he's like, no, I'm building a palace with you. And that's a curse for a lot of us because it lets us know that we're not done yet. But because of these things, the process is hard. So, getting back to the original word, the koinia, how do we do this successfully? And that's through godly community, being part of a church, being part of a group that will help push you along so you can do this properly. And when I look at this, I'm always drawn to Acts 2, again. But whenever I do a small group or lead any kind of group, having to deal with church, I always come back to Acts 2 at the end of the chapter because this lays out what the early church looked like. And in 4.2, we have the following. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. 
They will sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. I read that, and it's just... It's just really cool seeing how God just used this group of people to start the church. And when you read it at first, it seems pretty cut and dry. And I remember years ago when I was studying this, I was really praying on this and just kind of thinking about not just the church community as a whole, but who would have been part of that community. Because my first thought, I was like, well, it had been like a lot of nice, neat, perfect families coming together and starting this church. But it was 3,000 individuals. And you would have had a few families in there. But you also would have had prostitutes, um, sinners, tax collectors, people who knew they were so far away from the law that there was no hope for them. But these are the people that Jesus spent a lot of time with, showing them God's love and the grace on their lives. And on top of that, you would have had some Pharisees, some Sadducees, some scribes, some other religious elites. And when you look at all these people together from a human standpoint, that should have never worked at all. It was bound to fail. These are people who had been pretty much enemies, even though they're all Jewish their entire lives. The sinners, the sinner crowd knowing that they were not good enough and not accepted by the religious people, and the religious crowd who knew that they were better than them because they upheld the law perfectly, or as so they thought. But you see them putting aside all their differences, all this excess baggage that they come with the church, and they were like, we're here to make this work and to bring the gospel to everyone here in Jerusalem and just let God move. And because they did these things, you see the church explode in Jerusalem. <laughs> and it's only because it got so big that it caused the Romans to be worried and had to go start persecuting the church that caused the church to spread out to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's really cool when you get that idea because to me it just adds this whole level to Acts 2 showing just the breadth and the depth of what God was willing to do in order to see his gospel spread. But as you read those chapters, uh, that those verses, you see this whole life-on-life situation. These people didn't gather on Sundays or Saturdays to kind of get together once a week and do this. They were in each other's lives the entire time. You see them getting together for Bible study. When it says studying the apostles' teachings, that would have been everything Jesus would have taught them, even pointing back to Scripture in the Old Testament to show them that Jesus was who he said he was. They would have been diving into Jeremiah, into Isaiah, all these chapters, or scrolls at this point, not chapters, looking at who Jesus was and convincing the people that Jesus is who he said he is. He's accomplished every single prophecy that was written about him. And so when we look at community, we've got to thrive in a few ways. Bible study, of course. And when I say Bible study, it's a lot more than just getting up, reading a passage or a chapter, putting your book down and going away. A lot of times it's wrestling with scripture, especially, especially, especially those hard-to-read passages. Because, honestly, we love, I know I personally love Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's great, a wonderful promise that is for us. But then we get to passages like Deuteronomy 7, verse 2. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you, and you have defeated them, he's talking to the Israelites before they go into Canaan, then you will destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Ooh, that's hard, because if God is loving, why would he tell them to go and wipe these people out? 
And you might say, well, Keith, that's Old Testament. All right, challenge accepted. Let's look in the New Testament. In Luke 14, uh, 25, 26, Jesus says the following. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such person cannot be my disciple. This is Jesus, New Testament, preaching this. And these are passages that you have to kind of get in there and like, all right, God, what are you saying here? What's the, what's the narrative you're trying to show me here? And so that's why I love um, the fact that I have the youth group right now going through the Bible together. Every night, every day, I send out that we're going to read one chapter a day. And on top of that chapter, I have them sit and journal. Tell me what, you, what God was speaking to in that chapter, what you picked up out of that chapter. What is something you might have read that you're like, hey, I don't agree with that, and let's, let's hash it out. And then they come to youth group on Saturday, Sunday nights, and we spend the first 30 minutes or so just discussing what we read and hearing different viewpoints um, that God was speaking to everybody on these things. And that gives them time to also ask hard questions that they can't really ask out in other places. And so Bible study is way more than just reading once a day. I suggest everybody try doing the same thing, a chapter a day, and keeping a journal with you and just seeing what God is speaking to you through it. I actually met with uh, Hampton today over coffee, per usual. And this kid is just diving into scripture and different devotionals. And he said something that really stuck with me. He said, Keith, I think a lot of times we read scripture trying to um, find something in it. But I think we need to read scripture to expecting God to show us something. It sounds like it's the same, but it's very different. Because I know he was kind of talking about himself. He said, I find myself when I'm reading, I'm trying to find what I like, what I don't like. Instead of just like praying ahead of time, God, show me what you want me to get out of this. And all you guys can do the same thing. And it's great with the kids. It keeps me accountable. keeps me making sure I'm in the Word every day and studying up so I can be there for them. And this isn't to scare you to think, well, I don't know what to believe or what to do. This is to encourage you. You guys can go home, get the Bible. If you want to start somewhere, I would say start in the Gospels. Personally, I like John. He lays out a beautiful idea of like Jesus' life. And just take it chapter by chapter. And just journal whatever you feel like God's speaking to you in those moments about Christ and his love or some of the teaching he was saying. And then um, just kind of pray on them. Like, God, what are you saying? Especially parts I don't like. But Bible study is huge as a Christian. And also in Acts, we see them sharing meals together. Now, who loves eating? Jordan, Rebecca, super pumped about y'all's small group. It's going to point group. It's going to be awesome. Um, just so you know, they love doing small groups based around food. And um, if you're an eater and want to hear a good word, I'm just going to do a little promotion for them right now. Check it out. It's going to be great. But I know for me personally, some of my best, best, best memories are when me and some friends were sitting around at dinners or where it might be, and we just started talking about life, and it was go right from there into scripture. I remember one time, and this is going to sound bad of me, when I went to a different church, um, I was getting ready to go to the midweek service, and I was sitting there and just feeling really burdened about something and just really was eating me up. So called my friend Joel, and I was like, hey, man, have you left for church yet? And he was like, no, we haven't. And I was like, okay, can we meet and talk? And he was like, let me ask my wife. So he asked his wife, and she was like, you haven't seen Keith in a while. So, yeah, go you, you two go play. So... 
very gracious of her, but we went and uh, grabbed some hot dogs, and we sat and talked for like two hours, just talking through some stuff we had read and talking scripture. And it's those moments that were great because we really just get to be open about what we're struggling with um, over these meals. So meals are a great way to come together, share what God's doing, and just to have good, honest discussions, and that's how you get to know people. Also, with the early church, you see them devoted to prayer. And like I talked about earlier, prayer doesn't have to be anything fancy or rehearsed, but prayer is important. Prayer for the church, prayer for the community, prayer for the nations, and even prayer for yourself. Um, When I look at prayer, especially when it comes to church, church should be a safe place where you feel safe to bring your messiness. And I'll come back to that at the end because I've got this cool little demonstration that everybody knows about now. But prayer is great because... Like I said, this is how we pray for the church, how we pray for people coming in here to be open to the message that Pastor Allen's going to be given that week, prayer that people who come in will feel at home, will feel like they can become part of this community. And even for ourselves, there are desires and wants that I have that I've been praying for for a long time. And the Bible says to persevere in prayer, not to give up, continually pray. And I love that perseverance because perseverance, um, I had to look this up because it fell on my heart about two years ago, and I went and looked at perseverance, and perseverance is continuing to do something even if you don't see results immediately. And just this idea of, like, I'm going to persevere in prayer to pray for my church, to pray for my pastor, pray for my friends, and these desires and wants that I have, I'm continuing to pray for them until God moves me or changes things. And I'm going to believe the entire time that he's going to meet those needs according to his glorious riches. Amen? And then lastly... Filling needs within that community. So, disclaimer here, I'm not going to say we're going to take up offerings and give it to whoever wants to. But what we see in Acts and throughout church worldwide is when there's a need that needs to be met. The church comes together, finds a way to do it, and gives what they can. And what's great is not one or two people giving huge lump sums to fix something. It's everybody giving what they can. Because... Um, I can sit here and say, well, we have a need of, like, youth group. Um, we want to get some money to go to get transportation. And it'd be, it'd be much harder to say, okay, Jeremy and Jasveer, we need to come up with $1,500 for these things. You two give it up. I mean, if y'all can, great, but if not. <laughs> but if you look at it in Acts, it wasn't just one or two people doing it. It was Everybody who had resources and things, they would pull them together to give. So it was the entire family coming together to help fill needs within that community. And like I said, it's not paying for everything you want. I want to go back to Swaziland next year or go to Europe and backpack for a while before coming back. So, I mean, if y'all feel led to lead to give to that thing, GoFundMeKeith.com. You can do that there. Kidding. It's not a thing. What? No bullets. I'm aware of that this time, thanks. But building needs within the community is just building needs with your brothers and sisters as they come up. Um, an example I could think of that happened recently in years, I think about Jonathan and Naomi. Um, when Jonathan graduated from Auburn, he took a job in Baltimore, and he approached Miss Michelle and was like, well, we can't. He was They were struggling to do anything and get the money to get up there. And I loved how she just gathered the troops and was like, hey, we love Jonathan and Naomi. They never ask for anything. They have wonderful hearts. They have had us over for many meals when they had next to nothing. 
we got to help them. And other people started just giving and giving of themselves and ended up being like supply all they needed for that trip plus extra when they got up there. And it was just an amazing, amazing miracle when you see the church coming together to fill those needs. Life on life truly is life on life. I love the Great Commission, go and make disciples, because I think it's a word we don't use a lot in the U.S. or in the Western world, because we hear disciples and we're kind of like, disciple, what does that look like? Um, We meet weekly for Bible study for an hour, we get coffee every now and then, show me. But when Jesus said, go make disciples, those gathered weren't like, wait a second, before you leave, wait, explain this for us, please. They were like, okay, we get you. We'll go make disciples because that was the lifestyle they lived. When Jesus chose those 12 disciples, they didn't just go, all right, guys, we're going to do this. You want to be with me? So I plan on going here next Tuesday. So if you guys can come here on Wednesday, we'll travel over here together, hang out for a few days, and you go back to your lives. And then next week, we'll get together temple in this part of the temple at um, noon, and we'll sit and talk this scripture for an hour. Then you go back to your lives. No. These guys left everything to follow Jesus. And he was there with him 24-7, learning under the teacher. And not just when he was teaching to the crowds, when they would get him alone, they would ask, Jesus, what did you mean by that? And he would sit and explain to them. A lot of times in extreme frustration because they were very hard-headed and stubborn, but he would still sit and explain it to them. And to me, discipleship is truly life on life. And you do life together. Um... I was playing on Twitter, of all things, and came across uh, Dr. Tim Keller, a former pastor up in New York. He's retired now, but he had this quote. Community and friendship means commitment to the people beyond what you're getting out of it. Mindy, I love your face. (laughs) (laughs) Commitment beyond what you're getting out of it. In our American society, it is, I'll do for you, but you better do back to me. It really is like an eye for an eye. And even back then, it's nothing new under the sun, according to Solomon. Even back then, I'll help you, but you got to help me in return. And Jesus comes crashing on the scene and is like, no, you will help them because they have a need. Whether or not they can pay you back or not, you are going to give sacrificially because I did the same for you. And we may not see this type of community in Acts 2, so to speak, but what I love about Compass Church is this wonderful group of people coming together, and we have this community that is super, super strong. And it continues to develop and grow here. I love seeing new faces um, who come every Sunday and even come to these Bible studies. This is wonderful. And prayerfully, just God keeps seeing us more people so they can come be part of the Compass crew. It's going to be a lot of fun and just love to see who God's going to take this whole thing. But now churches are like this. I talk to a lot of people because they've been hurt. I'm like, well, this church has done X, Y, and Z to me. And I tell them, or try to tell them before they get mad at me, (laughs) church is hard because you have a lot of broken people coming together for something greater than themselves. When we step through that door, like I said last time, we all bring our hang-ups, our hurts, and baggage with us to the church. When you give your heart to Christ, everything that you've done in your past, all those things you're holding on to do not go away immediately. It takes time. That's the whole sanctification process. It takes time for you to let go and to forgive and move on. And I'm not belittling anything that anybody's gone through because some of us have gone through some things that have been horrendous that I would not wish on my worst enemy. 
But like I said, church should be a safe place where you can come, find community, and open up about what's going on. So that way we can come around you and pray for you and help in that healing process. So real quick, a couple questions for anybody here. Who here has been hurt by another brother or sister in the church before, in the past? It's okay. This is honesty, Tom. If it's me, you can raise your hand too. <laughs> Mindy, put your hand down. Jeremy, put your hand down. Cool. And like I said, and I tell him, quite possibly you will be hurt again. Um, will you agree with every decision made by the church leaders? Wow, that was quick. <laughs> I had something to like say. I was expecting like, no, we would never disagree with the with them. <laughs> of course not. You're not going to agree with every single thing because you have your own opinions. And more importantly, will you be challenged in your original thoughts of God when you join the church? Yes or no? Probably. Yeah. Good. Because that's great. Because when you're challenged, that helps you grow. I look at Jeremy back there, and he go, goes to gym like five days a week. And he, he he didn't he didn't get buff like that overnight, did you? It take everybody. Jeremy, stand up and <laughs> nah. <laughs> but Jeremy, um, and I know this because me and Hamp have talked, and Hamp's been going with Jeremy to the gym from time to time. And they just they put the work in. They go in, they work out, and they don't get stronger overnight. They don't go one time and it's like, all right, I'm good now. I'm good to go. It's continually going, getting uh, pumped up, lifting weights, doing all this stuff that I don't do, as you can tell. <laughs> but it's necessary because you grow that way and you got to just put you have to put that work in to like having your thoughts challenged like I know when I joined if you knew me before I joined you know like right now it's pretty much night and day I'm very very analytical about things I sit and pick everything apart because um that's kind of how um I was kind of gravitated to a lot of stuff that I see happening in church with people speaking in tongues and the healings I'll be the one to find a way to say, nope, that happens. That didn't happen this way, so it can't be real. But after spending time with the Isbells and going to plugged-in camp with Pastor Zach and the crew, that all changed. So I'm very <laughs> – Mindy, no. Oh, yeah. I think, Jer- I think Jeremy said the first time like, the Spirit came on me, he said, you had this gigantic grin on your face when you fell out. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, probably. But um, – but these things changed, and it challenged my thoughts on, like, what I thought how God would move in these situations. Everything that happens here, strictly, totally biblical. Nothing here happens that is not backed up by the Word of God, and that is super, super important when you're trying to go to a church. Of course, I'm going to plug Compass because I know Pastor Alan and Michelle have done the work. They've done their homework. They have studied Scripture. Pastor Alan's always preparing each week for his messages. So everything he says, everything that happens here, completely, completely biblical, and I would stand by that 100%. So you have to get that kind of growth through having your challenges, um, having these things tested. So that way, like Scripture says, test these things to see if they're true. Do it. So whenever we commit to something, we're committing it to it through the best of times and through the worst of times. Just like Jesus was committed to his Father's will unto death, we're to commit to the church. And this is going to take being vulnerable. And for a lot of people, that's hard. Um, you got to go and get to a point where you can share your hurts, where you can come in and tell people. Not, I'm not saying Sunday. Please don't do this on Sunday when we're doing the meet and greet. How are you doing? Well, let me tell you what happened this week to a random stranger. No, it's, it's, it's not that. Within the church community itself, you'll find people who you will gravitate to, who you'll get to spend time with, who you'll get to like open up with. 
and I have people like that here. I have other friends from other churches I can do that with, and they know we can be open with. But just like any relationship, you're going to risk being hurt when you're vulnerable because you're giving that person ammunition to use against you one day, but you're trusting them that they won't. And if you find proper community, not only will you be able to tell them things that you're dealing with and struggle with, they'll do the same thing back to you. And that's where you come together and you pray for each other, you check on each other, and um, help them grow. I heard one, um, I reference Hamp a lot because I spent a lot of time with him. He's always in the Word and everything. But he's listening to this one pastor and he was like, he was like, you don't want a friend who just see, who watches your front. You want a friend that watches your back. And he was saying, you want somebody who's going to see those spots you don't see. Like, okay, Keith, I see this in me, but you got to work on this. Or I see you falling back in this. You got to pull back, Keith, and come back and put your way back with God. And you do that. You have friends do that for you, and you do that for them. And it's hard. You're going to end up, it's possible you're going to get hurt. But we're human, and we commit, and we keep pushing through. So as I wrap up, I want to do one thing. Uh, can I get some help moving this real quick? This is all part of the sanctification process. You notice it didn't happen overnight or super quickly. It took time. But when the Holy Spirit gets rooted in you, all those things you dealt with, all your pasts, all your hurts, all these things and baggage you bring to the church, God deals with them. And you don't do it alone. You do it in community because that's, that's how you grow more in Christ. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray this out, and then you're all dismissed. Actually, one more thing after we're dismissed, and I'll pray. Father God, we love you, Lord, and God, right now, I just pray for anyone right now who might be dealing with problems of seeing themselves as you see them, Father. I pray that if they're alone and trying to walk this out by themselves, that this message touched them, that they realize that they need to be a part of the community, here at Compass Church even, and that you'll just continue to work with them and deal with that part of wanting to do it alone and just show them that they were made for community. And so... As we leave out of here, Father, let these lessons just take root. Let us, if we have community, to make it better, to continue to grow more in it. If we're doing things alone, help us to realize that we have to have that community, that quinea, so we can better grow in you, Father. I pray for those, aren't, for those who couldn't make it tonight. I pray that, Father, you continue to meet their needs and just their wants and their desires as well, Father, and just deal with them as they continue to walk with you. I pray that as we leave here tonight, Lord, we'll just go out there and just do everything we do, actions and words, unto your glory so that people will see our good works and give you all the praise. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.